Hi, this is Robert Furl, and welcome to TruthQuest Q&A, where we look at Scripture's questions through the light of Scripture. It's good to have you guys here with us. Uh, if you have a question, you can write the word question before your question, reread it a couple of times, and then submit it. You can ask questions on prophecy, apologetics, Christian living, uh, anything that you feel like you would like to ask. Let's go ahead and get into our first question. Uh, it is from a previous Q&A, and the question is, when temptation is strong, how can I overcome it? How do I deal with the feelings of guilt and shame over past sins? Well, first of all, two questions. When temptation is strong, how do I overcome it? I think there's some basic things that you talk about when you talk about overcoming temptation. We're all going to be tempted. We're probably going to be tempted daily, which is why Jesus said that we were to pray, deliver us from the evil one, and do not lead us into temptation. So because we know we're going to be tempted, we know that it's, it's going to happen, then we need to prepare for it. How do I prepare to be tempted? Well, first of all, by sowing to the Spirit. The Bible says if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you'll reap life. So I want to do things daily. I want to do things today. So I'm sowing to the Spirit. Am I praying, doing edifying things, listening to edifying things, reading edifying things, having edifying conversations, hanging out with edifying people? Am I not neglecting spiritual things in my life like, um, again, friendships, going to church, those kind of things. So I want to make sure that I'm ready by having things right. The Bible also says, if you sow to the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we want to sow to the Spirit. We know the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we want to practice self-control in certain parts of our lives so that we have self-control when temptation comes our way. And we want to walk in love. And it simply says there, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Also, the Bible tells us to delight ourselves in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. What a great Old Testament passage. If I delight in God, He'll give me the desires of my heart because my desires won't be bad. If I delight in the world, if I delight in the lust of the world, if I delight in the sinful things of the world, my desires are going to be lustful, sinful, worldly, and I'm not going to get them. But if I delight in the Lord, then what's going to result in my life are things that God can, can the desire of my life now is going to be things that God can answer. There's a New Testament equivalent to this as well that Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. Again, you're abiding in Christ he, and his word is abiding in you. These are all things you can do beforehand. When I make a deliberate decision that I'm going to live my days delighting in God, abiding in Jesus, not neglecting spiritual things, but walking in the spirit, I find that facing temptation is a whole lot easier. You're still going to face it, but it will not be overwhelming. Also remember the Bible says that no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able and with the temptation will provide a way of escape. Three things there. First of all, it's common. Jesus was tempted in every way. We were tempted yet without sin, which meant he was, which meant he was tempted to have a thought or he was tempted to do an action. And we are tempted, and we want to stop it before it gets into the thought world, because if you look at a woman in lust, 
you've committed adultery, you, if you have hated your brother, you've murdered him, right? Those are the thought life. So then uh, we also know that God's gonna provide a way of escape. So we need to look for it, look for that, that out, and that God's not gonna tempt us beyond what we are able. So that's the first question. When temptation is strong, how can I overcome it? You gotta prepare for it. If out of the blue, you are, are not prepared, you haven't been in fellowship, uh, you haven't been reading the word, you haven't been studying the word, maybe you haven't been going to church, you just haven't been doing spiritual things in your lives, and then all, and you've been sowing to the, the world and doing all kinds of worldly carnal things, then when you face temptation, of course it's gonna be strong and you're gonna have a hard time with it. But if you plan and prepare, then you can be victorious. The second part of your question is how do I deal with feelings of guilt and shame over past sins? Uh, first of all, if they are sins before you came to Christ, then know that they are completely and totally forgiven. That there are no more sin. God doesn't see them. He has forgiven them. He has forgotten them. And that is so good to know. It's part of the thing that happens to us when we're born again. We are made clean and God doesn't remember our, our, our sins and there's no reason for us to be guilty or to have shame again. If we sin after, and this happens because the Bible says if anyone says that they haven't sinned, they're a liar. So it happens that we do sin after we commit our lives to Christ, then we ask him to forgive us. Also keep short accounts, make things right with God as soon as you possibly can. Uh, the longer that you go without making things right after you sin, the more chance that you'll continue on in that behavior. And, and sin, bring, it's deceptive, it brings destruction and corruption, and you don't want sin in your life. You do not want sin in your life. As a Christian, I can tell you, you don't want it. You may want it right now because of the things you've sown to, but you're not going to want it later. And so, so do the things of God and know that if you, you sin now as a Christian, he's faithful to forgive us our sins if we confess them. Be contrite and be broken. Use wisdom and where it's possible, make restoration. Where it's possible, apologize. I say use wisdom because sometimes you try to make restoration with an ungodly person, it doesn't work. They don't even know why, understand why you're talking to them. So use wisdom, make restoration where you can for the sins that you have, the, the sin that you have committed and ask God to forgive you and your sin will be forgiven. He is faithful to do that. And then you gotta believe God's word because our feelings may still feel like we have, we've sinned, but God's word tells us that we have been forgiven. And so we need to trust it and stand our ground with that. All right, so it's good to see you guys on here. Good to see you, Daniel, and um, all, of the, all the rest of you uh, that are here. As always, I hope you're having a great day. Um, uh, if you have a question for us, then go ahead and write the word question down and then um, read your question a couple of times so it makes sense, and then go ahead and, um, and submit your question. Uh, before we get into our second question, uh, we have something new taking place. Uh, we have just started, it's actually up and running now, a TruthQuest podcast. Um, and you'll find that by going anywhere that you look for podcasts, typing in Robert Furrow or TruthQuest podcast or TruthQuest Robert Furrow, and you'll find our podcast. And our podcast is all of the latest things that we've done. So the first thing that you're gonna find on there is our hot topic that we did on whether or not the Bible is in prophecy we release that on Tuesday. That'll be on the podcast. After that will be, actually we'll have the teaching from Wednesday, uh, and then, then which is how to overcome temptation. And then after that, uh, you'll have uh, the Tuesday Q, and then you'll have the Sunday teaching. 
and then you have the Q&A. So Q&As, hot topics, uh, our sermons are all on this podcast and they're the latest ones that are out there. So if you go and you download this podcast and you're driving in your car, you can click it on and you can listen to the latest teachings, you can listen to the latest um, hot topics and you can listen to these Q&As. These Q&As will now be on a podcast. So this is a podcast, not only a Q&A for uh, most social media. So we wanna welcome all of you who are listening to this on our podcast. It's really good to have you guys. So that is Truth Quest Podcast with Robert Furrow. And um, I think you guys are really gonna be blessed. It's another way for us to get our teachings out there. Also, if you're, whatever, wherever you're at, consider liking, sharing, subscribing, and ringing the bell. The more that you can share what we're doing right now, teaching God's word, getting it out there, uh, tonight at our service, we'll have an altar call. This will give people a chance to give their lives to Christ. Well, we don't know what we'll be talking about today with our questions, but let's go ahead and get at it. So there goes for the exciting announcement. So we have a question here uh, from uh, Christina. Christina has a question, looks like, about vampire movies. All right, uh, so Christina says, um, question, this may sound silly to others, but is it wrong to watch vampire movies, etc.? Not talking about ones that were recently romanticized with young people, but the others. Um, so, Christina, this is, there, there are a lot of things that are a matter of freedom. We, 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 the Bible says, Jesus said, Paul said, <laughs> get the right person, we of all people are the most free. Jesus said, who the Son of Man has sets free, is free indeed. And so what might be okay for one person is not okay for someone else. Someone might have a conviction. And the Bible does say, if it is wrong for you to do it, then it's wrong for you to do it. In other words, if you say, if you think it's wrong, it's wrong for you to do it, then do not do it. So you need to really seek God and pray. But also if I have a conviction that I'm gonna not watch scary movies because, let's just say, because they glorify uh, demonic activity, okay? Um, and I'm not saying vampire movies do that because I know they're made up, all right? But let's just say I have that conviction. Then I want to live that conviction by not watching those movies. I don't want to lay my trip on other people. And this is what religious people do. When they begin to do something, they feel everybody else should do exactly what it is that they think they're doing, and so they lay their trip on other people. And if you feel like it's okay, it doesn't cause you to stumble in any way. Um, I don't know if it can be edifying. Paul said, we're free, but don't use your liberty as an occasion to sin. So you wanna make sure that what you're doing is gonna be edifying. You wanna do things during the day that are edifying. Doesn't mean everything that you do has to be edifying, but you want the things that you do to be edifying because you wanna go closer to Christ. You wanna walk in the spirit. You wanna to sow to the spirit for so from the spirit you can reap life. And these kind of movies, uh, I think is, you know, as long as you feel like it's okay for you to watch it, and then you could go ahead and do that. And you said some hesitation that I've got with it. Um, I'm just saying there's areas of freedom and I don't wanna put, I don't wanna be like the Pharisees who teach taught the traditions of men as if they were the commandments of God. And so many people do that. We do not wanna do that. We want to allow there to be freedom. But you also be honest when you're looking at movies like that. 
because you want to make sure you're not watching them for the wrong reasons. You want to make sure that you're going to be, that you're sowing to the right places and sowing to fruit. So yeah, you can watch it if you, you want to and you feel like you want to. I would just make sure to guard for all those other things to make sure that we are edifying ourselves, growing day by day, doing what we need to do to be able to grow day by day. Thanks, Christina. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Hope you have a really, really good blessed day. Uh, we have a question here from Albert. Albert says, Hi, Pastor Robert. A friend of mine believes that Luke 21, 3 proves that we all know each other's past sins in heaven. What are your thoughts? Thank you for all you do and uh, to do to grow us as believers. Well, thank you very much, Albert. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and take a look at that. So we want to go to, got my new, uh, let's see if I can find my, yeah, there it is. All right, so we want to go to Luke 12, 3. Uh, I just, uh, I just got done teaching this. Luke 12, 3. Then let me go ahead and put the scriptures up on the screen for you guys. I'm a little bit trouble finding my cursor. All right. Um, nope. All right. There we go. Okay. So this is, I got Luke 3, 3. That's really funny. All right. Hold on. This is, this one's new for me. I'll get it down here and be much quicker at it in just a little while. All right. Luke 12, 3. How about that? All right. So um, Luke 12, 3, I um, just want to find the setting here. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Um, and then uh, Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So Jesus is giving us this passage so as a way to, so we will avoid hypocrisy. That if we're living in hypocrisy today, it's going to be revealed. And I don't believe that he's saying that, see, when, when, when my sins are forgiven, God says, I remember them no more. God's not gonna bring them up again and God's the only one who could. No one else will bring them up. So I do not believe that this is telling us that our sins as Christians are gonna be brought up. What it does tell you is this, repent and, and ask God to forgive you with a true and a contrite heart, turn, so to the spirit, walk in the spirit, uh, whatever you're doing that may lend, be wise. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out. Better for you to go into heaven without an eye than into hell uh, with um, a full body. But we know he didn't mean gouge out your eye because you still have your left eye. Everything your right eye can do, your left eye can do. And so, you know, that means go to extremes. Whatever sin there is that you do not want shouted from the rooftops, then make sure that you do whatever you've got to do to be able to get that out of your life. Find accountability, put filters on your computer. Um, uh, if, if, it's, if it's some kind of a behavior, make sure you're not sowing to the flesh. If it's a temptation you're, you're getting into again, we talked a little bit about that. Um, but no, once you come to Christ, once you ask him to forgive you, and maybe as a Christian, if you are walking in hypocrisy, God, this is this applies. Hey, what you're doing in the dark, we shot it from the rooftops. God's going to reveal it. I think of um, Robbie Zacharias. I think of the Hillsong pastor who was, you know, revealed his affair in, um, in New York and others that have been exposed. And so, Lord, help us. 
that we would not walk in hypocrisy, that we would live in such a way that you would be glorified. And Albert, I don't think that your friends are correct uh, that this verse means that you know all of our that we're all going to know everybody's sin in heaven. Our sins will be forgotten and um, and forgiven. All right. So uh, I appreciate that. Where did I get? Where did I put your question at? Did I put it here? Oh well, okay. Let's go. Yeah, I did put it there. All right. Nope, that's not it. So did I erase your question, Albert? Nope. There it is. Okay. So thanks, Albert. I appreciate that. And we'll get another question here. Um, so, and I hope you have a good day, Albert. Thank you very much. Hopefully that was helpful. We have a question here from Renee. Yeah, comes to us from Facebook, by the way. This is seen on Facebook, YouTube, Facebook, three different channels, and on YouTube. So if you're on one of our Facebook channels that only has just a handful of, of viewers, you're going, where are these questions coming from? Facebook, 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 and YouTube. All right. Um, so Renee says, do you use external evidence such as people who knew people of the Bible? Is it good to use external evidence? Is it okay? Thank you, Pastor Robert. So, uh, yeah, you cannot treat it like scripture, right? So the Bible says that God has preserved uh, Revelation, no, excuse me, Psalms 12, 6 and 7. God's word is like pure gold refined by fire. He has preserved it from generation to generation. So God's word is preserved. It is, it is uh, inspired, profitable for correction, for reproof, for doctrine. The man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. All right. So that's got complete and total authority. But in history, there was Polycarp who had a connection to John. Uh, there are there there are other uh, ancient uh, Christian early church fathers that go way back to that day, and we can look at their writings to get an idea. It's not scripture, but we get an idea of how they interpreted the things that were there, and they can be very helpful. Uh, I think that all manuscripts and I think early church fathers all, 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 all the way out, you know, I mean, you're talking four or five hundred years afterwards, can be very helpful. They're so much closer to those original, um, what was taking place originally, that we're taking all the information that we can that God has revealed, and we want to learn as much as we can from it. That's why we look at so many different manuscripts and we build our, our the scriptures, uh, the translations that we trust from so many different manuscripts that are compared and contrasted with each other. So yes, it's okay. Yes, it's good. Um, learn as much about history as you can. I think it will be extremely helpful to you uh, in your walk with Christ, Renee. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We have a question here from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, I was wondering if Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit and we walked around nude or uh, would porn have been then okay? Uh, why did God decide sin was sin before the fall or afterwards? All right, so a couple of questions. I, I think, first of all, Jari, that the fact that they didn't know that they were naked was because their thoughts were pure, because they didn't have the sin nature. So Adam and Eve were created, they were naked, they didn't know it, Bible says, their thoughts were pure. They didn't, they didn't have a sin nature. And so no, their porn would not have been around. I don't know if we would all walked around naked or not. I don't know if that's what God had in store, but because if Adam and Eve never ate that fruit, we would be alive today and would not have the sin nature. And what an amazing thing. Well, unless somebody else did, right? 
So I guess we can blame it on Adam and Eve, but maybe each person would have done it. But but just before they ate the fruit, no. It was, first of all, just them, right? Secondly, it wasn't, it wasn't sin. It, I mean, it wasn't, um, it, it wouldn't have been anything that would have been rude or, or not appropriate. Um, and then, um, when did God decide sin was sin? Before or after the fall? I gotta say before, because before the, I'm gonna say before the fall, well, we know that Satan is the dragon of old and he's the one who, who wanted to lift his throne above the throne of heaven and that's pride. He was deceived by sin, so deception was around before it. The angels were given a free will as well. We were given a free will because God wants us to love him and choose to love him. And so we have a free will. And we're living apart from God. We're living, looking towards glory, wanting to be a part of it. And so we make a decision to follow after him and to live for him. The angels were in glory. They saw all those things. They were still deceived by sin. A third of them fell. It says in Revelation that um, the tail of the dragon swept a third of the stars with it. I believe this is making reference to the angels. And um, that they there was sin before they were in the garden. All right? Um, and remember, they could eat. They ate of the tree of good and no, of, the, of knowledge of good and evil. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was other fruit in the garden that they could eat. Right? They were eating of all of the trees that were in the garden except they weren't supposed to eat of the one that was in the garden. And of course, they went ahead and ate from it. So thank you, Jari. I appreciate it. Hope you're having a great day. I uh, appreciate your interaction here on our Q&As. And we want to welcome any of you that may be new, uh, either watching this or listening to it on our podcast. Uh, we have another question here from uh, Perry. And so I'm talking about past sins. Uh, we talked about that in the beginning of this uh, podcast. Question about dealing with past sins. Do we have to uh, teach about past? Why do we have to teach about past sins? Not unless you don't believe that Jesus redeemed us from our past, present, and future. He covered all sins. All right, so is this a reference? I'm not sure if this is a reference to the first question that we had. Why do we have to deal about dealing with past sins? So, all right, I think I got what you're asking here, um, Primi, and I, I appreciate that. Um, I think you're saying, why can't I just go ahead and, and move on? So I, um, I sinned, Jesus forgave him, past, present, and future, so I'm just gonna move on. I don't need to, I don't need to repent. I don't need to ask God to forgive me. Uh, God forgives me already, he already has, so I'm just moving on. Uh, because when you sin and, and it's unrepented, you can break fellowship with God. You, your sins are still forgiven, but because of your heart that is in rebellion, because of the unrepented, unconfessed sin, then there's a separation between you and God. It's a fellowship being broken. This is why Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, you won't wash my feet, and Jesus said, I have to wash your feet or you can have no part in me. And Peter said, well, then my hands, head in my hands. And Jesus said, no, I don't have to wash your head and hands. Only your feet are dirty. It's as we walk through this world, we sin and we get our feet dirty and we need to cleanse them. And our, our head and hands are already clean. So the fellowship might be broken from Christ. And this is going to be devastating to you in the long run. If you have unconfessed, unrepentant sin and you think, I, don't, I sin, God won't forget, I don't need to repent from it. First of all, you're not dealing with that sin. You're not going to gain victory over that sin. It's going to be hard to anyway. I can say you're not going to, but it's going to be hard to. So yeah, Primi, you have to deal with, uh, with your sin daily. And remember, there's sin we don't even know. The Bible says, reveal to me my hidden faults that have dominion over me. 
We all have sin that we don't even know that we have. And so we need to ask God for forgiveness. And that's why it says in 1 John, 1 John, I think it's 1.4, if anyone says they don't have sin, they're a liar. And then 1.9, if we, and this is to Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's faithful to forgive us and God is just in forgiving us because of the work that Christ did on the cross. So it's very scriptural. It's very biblical. Yes, I believe that all of my sins are forgiven. Yes, I believe that my sin can get in between me and God if I don't keep the right heart and ask him to forgive me. All right, Primi, I appreciate your question. Hope you're having a great day. I hope you will have a great day from here on out. If you're joining us uh, and you're here new, you would like to ask a question, just go ahead and write a question in the comment section. Write the word question before it and then your question, reread your question a couple times, make sure that it makes sense um, so that we can bring it on here. Um, so we have another question here uh, from Mike. Mike says in Matthew 6.13 and other passages contain the words, lead us not into temptation. At first glance, it appears that we are asking God not to lead us into temptation. Can you clarify this a bit? Yes, Mark, thank you very much um, for this question. Uh, yeah, so the Bible says, let no one say when they are tempted that they're they are tempted by God because God can tempt no one. So God is not going to tempt you. Even when God brings you into a test or allows something difficult in your life, he's not tempting you, he's testing you. So he's trying to bring out the good in you. The enemy wants to bring out the bad in you and the enemy comes along and uses God's trials for temptation. So God's not tempting anyone. So when we say do not lead us into temptation, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That answers everything that you need to know right there. The spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God may lead us so that we will be tempted by the devil. He may be testing us. There may be purposes in what God's doing. And I, I quite frankly think the way it's worded in the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, which is something that we should pray. I think we, we should pray it regularly. I think we should pray the Lord's prayer daily. It's so good. It covers so many parts. And I don't think we should just say it verbatim. I think we ought to say our father in heaven. Thank you. I have a father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. You are so good. You are holy. You are better than anyone else. There's no one like you. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, I want your will done and please let your kingdom come. And when you get to the part where it says, lead me not into temptation, Lord, help me not to be led into temptation. I don't want to be tempted. I want to be able to overcome temptation. Help me to be prepared and don't lead me into temptation. I believe that God will honor that. And I think God will work in us so that there's not things going on in our lives so that God leads us into temptation to reveal what we need to work on. So God's leading us to, 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 to leading us that we might be tempted by the tempter, but he's not tempting us. This is a distinction. Some may balk at that distinction, but I think it's a legitimate distinction that God does lead us through our lives. We want to ask that we don't be led into temptation. Thank you, Mark. Very thoughtful. I appreciate your question. Hope you're having a great day. We have another question here from Amber. So Amber, comes to us from Facebook. Good to see you, Amber. Amber Sky. Uh, the question is, do we go straight to heaven or hell when we die? Or the bosom of Abraham? I, I like to call it Abraham's comfort. 
Um, the bosom of Abraham is kind of a New King James, oldish kind of way to phrase it. Um, so just a side note, okay? Abraham's comfort is a little bit better, being comforted by Abraham, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. I thought we went straight to heaven or hell uh, when Jesus died for us. No, we don't, by the way. I'm going to get back to that. I know a lot of people who say we sleep till judgment. Yeah, there's a couple cults that teach that and a minority of Christians who teach it. It's not the majority, uh, which is the correct teaching. All right, let's go ahead and take this a little at a time. So what you're talking about is the intermediate state. This is the state of someone when they die before they go to their final place. The final place for a non-believer is going to be hell. They don't go to hell right away. The final place for the believer is going to be heaven. I believe we go there right away. Now, uh, what happened to people before Jesus was that they went, it seems, to the place of Abraham's comfort, which Jesus talked about Abraham comforting the poor man, Lazarus, and the rich man. This is a different Lazarus than the other Lazarus that was raised from the dead. But the poor man, Lazarus, and the rich man was across the great gulf and, and in torment, but it wasn't hell. That's the grave or death or Hades. And that is all eventually, Jesus led a host of captives out of captivity. He brought all those people that were in that place of Abraham's comfort and he brought them up into heaven when he rose from the dead or in, uh, in the three days between his death and resurrection. And he brought them up into heaven. And so that um, people today in the intermediate state to be absent from this body is to be present with God. I don't believe that we sleep after we die. Uh, as I said, there's cults that believe this and a minority of Christians. And the reason that I don't believe that we sleep after we die is because Paul said, I'm in this dilemma. I could, I could, I could die and be with Christ or I could, could struggle on and be here with you. It's better for you that I'm here. So he made a decision to stay. I don't know if he had, was, if, if God would have taken his life earlier, if he had really a choice, but he was saying, look, I want to go and be with God. And if it was just sleeping, that wouldn't have been Paul. Paul would have been like, I want to work as hard as I can. So I don't believe that there is, that the intermediate state is sleep. So that you die here and then wake up and, and, and Jesus is back on earth and everybody's here. I don't think that that's the case. Um, we also know when people die during the tribulation period, their souls are under the throne of God and they are, they are conscious. And that's really important. So then they die and they don't go to sleep. They're conscious. So I don't think that soul sleep is possible. So let me just read through your question here. Make sure I get all of it. Uh, do we go straight to heaven or hell when we die in the bosom of Abraham? Okay, I dealt with that. I thought we went straight to heaven or hell. Hell, remember, is in Revelation, the end of it. And everything is, oh, everybody's thrown into hell finally. That's the final place where everything is thrown. Okay, and I've already explained heaven. I know a lot of people say we sleep. I've explained that. Uh, what is the correct teaching? Well, that's the correct teaching. Uh, when we die today, we go into the presence of God. I don't know whether we're a spirit when we're there in this intermediate state or if there's a body that God makes for us until the resurrection of the dead. If you are a Christian and you die, uh, I think that you go to a place that is a holding place where there, it's no fun, okay? Kind of like the rich man uh, that will be eventually be thrown into hell. And um, if you are, and I guess that answers all of it. All right, thank you, Amber. Sky, I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us here on our podcast. We hope that you are really and truly blessed. Uh, so we have a question from Cheryl Lynn. Um, 
All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and bring this in. So we have a question here from Cheryl Lynn. Uh, and first thing is, Cheryl Lynn has a really cute dog, all right? And uh, thanks, Sharon, uh, Cheryl, for um, asking your question. You say, we are supposed to submit to authority, correct? Question mark. I have always believed this, and this is why I have, I pray for the president's authorities that I do not agree with. That's really good, and we're supposed to pray for the authorities. Remember, when that was written, it was the Roman authorities who were as far from godly as they possibly could be. All right. Um, so then it says, in the Bible, though, when David fled from Saul, David had followers that fled with him, right? They did not know that David was God's chosen, so they were technically wrong in leaving Saul and following David. All right, so good question, uh, Cheryl. Uh, first of all, when we look at the people who lived in the Old Testament times, and we look at people that are living in the New Testament times, and where we're living today, with all the light of the Word of God, it's radically different. So in other words, you're trying to make David and his men live under the commands of the New Testament. So Romans, I think it's 13, tells us to obey those authorities that rule over us and pray for them. They were living in the 10th century BC and had no such command from God. And these men, I'm trying to remember what kind of men the Bible says they were that followed him. I think that it said that they were men who were in debt, men who were maybe worthless men who were in debt. <clears throat> a couple other things, maybe somebody could throw in the comment section there um, uh, as to what kind of men followed David. So these guys were already on the run. They were not like great upstanding citizens. This is God taking this group of people that have all kinds of problems and bringing them together around David and becoming the mighty men of David. It's talking about the tremendous transformation uh, that we can have. And Jesus came looking for sinners. Uh, he, he talked about a man who came and wouldn't even approach the altar and beat his chest and said, God, be gracious to me, a sinner. And another guy that walked right up to the altar and said, God, I thank you that I um, have been, that, that I tithe twice a day. And he said several things that I'm not like that man. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of them left forgiven. The other left with their sins intact. So God's looking for people that will call out upon him. And through weakness, God is strong. And God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But I don't think that that passage could apply to them. David was very respectful of Saul, who was an authority. And if you know the story of David, then you know that he didn't kill him when he had chances to because he didn't want to lay hands against God's anointed. So there's some way in which David was keeping that. But I don't think that we can apply those New Testament biblical truths to Old Testament people and say whether or not they were right or wrong. Okay, um, I don't think that God today would ask us to submit just to death because they said to. We would flee, do what we had to do, try to protect ourselves and not die. So if, when the government asks us to do something that is not sinful, then we'll gladly do it. But when the government asks us to do something that, that makes me now not a good Christian, then I'm not going to do what the government is asking me to do. All right, Amber, thank you very much for your question. Uh, if you would like a quick clarification, you can ask uh, here or in further podcast if you would like to. All right, so we have another question from Primi. Uh, so Primi says, question, can, uh, can all 
Can an all-powerful God create something that he cannot destroy? Okay, so this is like a riddle, right? Uh, like, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Well, then if he can't move it, he can't do all things. If he can't make a rock so big he can't move it, then he can't do all things. So either way you answer it, you got God in that, you know, he can't do all things. God is not all powerful. This is the same kind of a thing. Can an all powerful God create something he can't destroy? Um, and the question that you bring up here may be a little easier to answer than can God make a rock so big he can't move it. I think you're trying to use human ideas and thoughts and, and, and worldly uh, limitations you know, gravity and all of that with that first the riddle that I gave you. Um, all right, so God created me. Then Jesus died for me. Well, we'll put this, God created me. I sinned. Then Jesus died for me. And now God won't destroy me. God can't destroy me. So, yeah, God, an all-powerful God, created something he can't destroy. Right here, me. And any others of you that have a genuine real commitment to Christ. God can't destroy you. Um, the only way that God is bound, well, God is bound by his holiness. First of all, God will not do evil. So if they say, can God do anything? Well, no, God can't do anything. God's not going to do anything evil because God can't do evil. So the, so the idea God can do anything. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, um, but God can't, can't do evil. And then the only limitations God has other than evil is the bounds God makes. God makes boundaries. So God said, I will never forget you, my people. I've carved you on the palms of my hand. Even if a mother forgets her baby, I will never forget you. He gave that promise to Israel. So now God's bound by that. He can never forget the promises that he made to Israel because he made them there. And um, so uh, the answer to your question, Brimmy, yes, God can create something that he cannot destroy because God has decided to make it so. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Primi, for your second question today. I appreciate that. We also have a second question from Jari. Uh, Jari joins us from YouTube. Uh, you guys who are on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell. All right. The more we can get this out there, the better it'll be. Question. Uh, was it the knowledge of good and evil? Did Adam and Eve not know nakedness in public was sinful, but it's just then husband and wife at the time when all came along would we eventually clothe um i don't know i think it's very unlikely that we would have made it very long without sin nature i think god knew that they were going to sin and and fall from grace from the beginning putting into motion this world that i believe is a perfect world for people to have a choice of a loving god we can talk more about that later um so, yeah, no, them being public before wasn't sinful. Again, they didn't know. They didn't have bad thoughts. So it wasn't sinful. And today, it would be. All right, Jari, thank you for your follow-up question. I appreciate that. Let me just read this here. Again, I want to make sure uh, that I got all of your questions here. Um, was it the knowledge of the good and evil that did not know nakedness in public? Um, it was them, them before they fell, they did not have a sin nature. When they, they died spiritually, because when they ate of the fruit, they died spiritually. That's why when you're born again, your spirit has to come back to life. And so then they knew that they were naked 
And then they had sinful thoughts and they hid themselves. So it was the lack of a sin nature that made them um, be, be naked and not worry about it because there was no bad thoughts. Um, all right. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether they would have been clothed or not. If everybody would have walked around naked and not had a sin nature, I guess that's possible and it wouldn't have been a problem. All right. Thanks, Jari. I appreciate you and I appreciate your questions and I hope that you have a great day. All right. We have a question here from Tyler. Tyler, good to see you. Uh, Tyler says, uh, question, can you help clarify the jealousy of God? I've always thought that jealousy stemmed from the negative place of selfishness and ego, but obviously God is perfect and good. Tyler, thank you for your question. I really appreciate that. Good to see you. See you a little bit later on tonight. Uh, can you clarify the jealousy of God? Yes, uh, there, there is. And this is the thing that, that got Oprah all upset, right? One of the reasons that Oprah stopped really being a Christian, as far as I understand it, was that she considered the jealousy of God and thought, I don't want to follow a God who's going to be jealous. There, there is a righteous and unrighteous jealousy. And remember, Hebrew words and Greek words and English words are always not easily interchangeable. It can be, but sometimes when we find out the raw word, we can go, oh, that's different than how we deal with the word jealousy. Uh, there's a righteous jealousy. If I were to flirt with someone in front of my wife and she was jealous because I did that, that would be a righteous jealousy because I shouldn't be doing that. If, if, if someone were to have an affair in a marriage, then the, the offended person would be jealous and that's a righteous jealousy. They're jealous because what was theirs was now taken away. That's righteous. And so when God says, I am jealous for you, God is saying, I don't want you in the world. I don't want you living apart from me. I'm, I'm jealous for you. It's a righteous jealousness. We shouldn't be living for other things. We shouldn't be living for the world. We shouldn't be living for other gods. And because God loves us like a husband who would be jealous if his wife began giving attention to another man, and we would call that proper jealousy. So God is jealous for us in that way. And uh, it's been a long time, Tyler, since I've done a word study on the word jealous. But I do remember that both in Hebrew and in Greek, in the original word and the way it's used in sentences, uh, that it really helps to clarify this issue. It's not used the same way that the English word for jealousy is used, although uh, we can say that in a proper way. That really makes me jealous and you, you're not doing anything sinful. Now, if you're a jealous, um, over-controlling, um, passive-aggressive individual, then you're just a creep and you are using all kinds of things to manipulate. And you can be jealous of maybe your wife's girlfriend because she spends more time with her or you're jealous when there's nothing to be jealous about and that becomes sinful. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. Good to see you. I uh, hope you have a great day uh, and I appreciate all you do. Uh, it's good to see you here too as well, Daniel. All right, thank you for joining in on our podcast here today. Uh, if um, you have a question for us, then write the word question and then write your question a couple times, make sure it's clear, and then go ahead and bring it on. And um, let's see, let's go ahead and bring on a question here from Dan. Good to see you, Dan. 
Hope you're having a great day. Dan comes to us from Facebook. Dan says, what kind of changes do you experience when you give your life to Christ? What things are revealed to you and do you still have poor thoughts? Uh, I am a little confused. All right, thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. This is a really good question because when we come to Christ, we are born again. Our spirit, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they, they, their spirit died, our spirit comes to life. And the Bible says this in several places, by the way, that we have come to life, that we've been brought to life. I like the way the old King James used to use it. It takes those brought to life or born again and use the word quicken. We've been quickened. Uh, our spirits have been quickened to life. And the Bible tells us, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, everything becomes new. So this means that there's a transformation in me. I become a new person. I, my old things pass away. When I became a Christian at 13 years old, believe me, before that, I didn't want to know the Bible. I didn't care about what God's thoughts were. I didn't want to know the deep things of God. But even at 13, almost 14, I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I was heartbroken when I didn't. I thought I was going to get sin out of my life fast. And I didn't. I struggled. Of course, we all do. Um, so, yeah, um, we are radically changed. Some of the, some of the thing, experiences we have when we give our lives to Christ, we now want to do what God wants us to do. We want to find out what Jesus commanded and we want to do it. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John, 1 John says the same thing. We want to keep his commandments. Uh, we begin to walk in the Spirit. Because we walk in the Spirit, we're full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're no longer living selfishly. We're no longer angry. At least these are the things that are supposed to be done. Um, and then it says, what things are revealed to you? And will I saw poor thoughts? Unfortunately, Dan, yes. Even after you're transformed. Because when you're transformed, you have a new nature. You are born again. You've got, you're a new creation. But you also have an old nature. And the old nature in the Bible is called the flesh. So if you live for the flesh, from the flesh you're going to reap corruption. And the Bible says that the flesh battles against the spirit and the spirit battles against the flesh so you don't do the things that you want. That's the bottom line that I don't like. I love that it's, if it said you would have great victory over the flesh and you will not do the things you don't want to do. But it doesn't say that. I end up doing the things I don't want to do because I sow to the flesh and from the flesh I reap corruption. And there's a struggle going on inside of me. There's a struggle going on inside of you and there's a struggle going on inside of everybody. And the person that says, not me, I'm so spiritual, I never have any struggles, is the person struggling worse than all of us. He's struggling with pride and he's like the Pharisees and we all just need to admit where we are, which is that there's difficulties, there's problems, there's struggles that take place inside of our lives. And um, I wish I could tell you, Dan, that you were never gonna have foolish uh, or poor thoughts, but you are. You gotta take captive the thoughts. That's what the Bible says. Our weapons are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds uh, against arguments and everything that exalts itself against the living God, taking our thoughts captive. So we wanna take control of our thoughts. Martin Luther said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair, right? So thought may go through, that's not sin. When you begin to dwell on that, entice on, that's when it becomes sin, all right? So, Dan, I want to say the Lord bless you in your endeavors to walk godly in Christ Jesus. God has a great plan for you. God wants to work in your life. 
God wants to use you. The devil wants to make you ineffective. He would love to destroy you. And so there's a battle going on. So do the Spirit. Love Jesus. Do things that are edifying. Delight yourself in God. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. All of these things are directions that we've been giving that we can live our lives properly and rightfully so. Uh, I think that you've just recently come to the Lord. Dan, welcome. God bless you. I, I am really excited to see what God's going to do. He has chose you, he has called you, he has gifted you. He's got a reason for your life, all right? And the same goes for everyone else who has given their lives to Christ here recently, and really over a, a period of time, if that's, uh, if that's the case. But uh, thank you, Dan, so much. All right, so um, we have another question from PsychMan45. It's our first question from PsychMan today. PsychMan, good to see you. Uh, PsychMan says, does my first, uh, does my time, let's see, but does my time has not yet come? Okay, does my time has not yet come refer to the trumpet entry and my hour has not yet come refer to events surrounding the crucifixion. So my time has not yet come. I'm not sure where these are at, Psych Man. I'm not sure where the references are to them. I'm gonna say the second one, my hour has not yet come is Jesus. And he said that often in the beginning um, when he would tell, and he would also tell people not to tell people when there were miracles, people risen from the dead, lepers being healed, don't tell anybody. But then as he, he set his face towards Jerusalem, then he started telling people, go and tell everybody. So there was a change. And he would tell them, my hour has not yet come. I think he said that to his mother when, in the very beginning of his ministry. Was it referring to the last part of the ministry of Jesus or the crucifixion? I'm not sure. We know ultimately the crucifixion is in there, even if it's not all of it. It might be his last week in Jerusalem is his hour that has come and the crucifixion would be part of that. Um, my time has not yet come. I, I wish I had the context, so I don't know. I'm just going to have to tell you I don't know. Otherwise, I'm just making something up. All right? I'm not sure when um, what that is a reference to because I don't know the reference. All right, Psych Man, thank you very much for your question. It's good to see you. Always good to have you here with us. Um, all right, so we have a question, another question from Jari. This is the third one from Jari today. Jari, thank you for your questions. I really appreciate you. Again, I hope you're having a great day and I hope you're blessed. Um, question, why wasn't heaven affected by the fall of the angels, but earth and the universe was when men fell? All right, let me get a drink of coffee because that's a tough question. I have to get some coffee for that. Thank you. That's, that's good, I'm gonna get another drink. All right. So, um, yes, the earth was affected when Adam and Eve fell, right? Um, and it was connected to the curse. So Eve had a curse, Adam had a curse, and Satan had a curse. All of them in the part of the fall. We don't know of any corresponding events that happened in heaven. In other words, we know they fell. We know there was a celestial fall and we know there was a terrestrial fall. And we know that angels fell with him. And then we know that there are various kinds of angels. But we don't know whether there was a curse connected to the fall. 
We do know that they were down here on the earth. We do know that one day they'll be cast out of heaven and not have access anymore. Seems they have access up into heaven now to where God is. Although I don't know if they live there, but they have access there. So it's that, it's that curse that we don't have the corresponding event to. We have the fall of both of them, but we don't have, we don't read of a curse in the celestial fall. Um, both, remember Eve had pain in childbearing. Her desire was going to be for her husband. Uh, the ground was going to produce thorns and thistles, and he was now going to have to work where before I take it, it would have been hanging out and taking it easy. Um, and I mean, work is so set in us now that God's got to make us take rest. And um, then uh, Satan it talks about the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, but will have his heel bruised. And that is the Proto-Evangelium. That is the first prophecy that talks about the death of Jesus overcoming Satan. It's a promise that Satan will be overcome right there in the very beginning. So it's the curse that would make that connection jarry, not necessarily just the fall, okay? There was a fall, a celestial fall and a terrestrial fall. And um, there was a celestial creation and a terrestrial creation. And now they work together to bring the gospel to the world. They serve us as we take the gospel to the world. Thank you very much, Jari, for your question. I really appreciate it. If you're new here today, we want to welcome you. We're really glad that you guys have joined us. Consider liking, subscribing, sharing, ringing the bell uh, so that you can get this out. To, we can get this out to as many people as we can. We would like our podcast to be as absolutely effective as we can make it. All right, so um, we have a question from John P. John joins us from YouTube. John says, question, hi, Pastor. Hello, John, how are you? I can't remember the judgment seat of Christ we all must go before. I know it's not the great white throne. The first throne is to judge believers work, right? God bless. Yes, John. Um, and I believe that this judgment will take place during the tribulation period when God has come to take his church to be with him. We'll have the marriage supper of the lamb and we'll be with him in heaven. Why God's working with the nation of Israel here on earth. The tribulation time is a time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. And we are not going to be subject to the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And so we will be in heaven and our works will be judged then. That's why I think it'll take place. And it says in, in 1 Corinthians that we are going to be judged that by the fire. And that whatever is wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. And whatever isn't will remain. And so it's the motives of our works that are being judged because I could do all kinds of things for God, but if I'm doing them for the wrong purposes, then in that judgment, they'll be burned up. I want to do them with the right motives. I want to do them with the right heart. I want to walk in love. If I'm doing it out of love, the love for God ultimately, then that's the right purpose. It will not be burned up. If I'm doing it for any other reason, then it could get burned up. And it says there in that passage that some are going to be saved as if through fire. So they're barely going to make it through. They're going to still be smoldering a little bit when they when they get into heaven uh, because they won't have anything. And what rewards we get for the work that we do here, it's absolutely amazing when you think about it. God calls us. He, calls, he loves us. He forgives us. He works with us. He sanctifies us. He works in us day by day, our inner man being renewed day by day. And then God goes, and I'm going to reward you. So that's pretty amazing. I don't know what we're going to do with our rewards. Maybe we'll cast them before the throne of God like the 24 elders do. Um, but good question. Uh, 
John, I, I appreciate that. Hope you have a great day. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, it's good again to see you. I uh, hope you are really and truly blessed. All right, so we have another question here from this one from Shelly. And Shelly comes to us from Facebook. We've got another four minutes. Uh, we have two Q&As a week, uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. It's good to have you guys here. Uh, we are just about done, so we'll see how many more questions we could get in. Uh, Shelly says, okay, as it relates to Matthew 26, 54, is there a place in the Old Testament that speaks of Jesus being turned over to the chief priest and the elders? Is there a place in the Old Testament? Um, all right, I'm not going to go look up that passage right now, Shelly. I'm just going to assume Matthew 25 that we're talking about his arrest, his being handed over to the chief priests um, and the elders. Uh, Jesus then stood before them privately, had an illegal trial in front of them. Um, there are the three suffering passages in Isaiah. And they're all kind of in that chapters 40 through 53 area. Um, I can't remember exactly where all three of them are. I'd have to look them up. You could find them by looking up the three suffering servant passages. It's the suffering servant passages. Those three suffering servant passages talk about Jesus's trial and crucifixion. All three of them. Isaiah 53 is one of them. So you may look there to see if there's anything that corresponds to him being handed over. I, I would like to say there is, but I can't remember. Um, I know it says that like a sheep before a shearers, he was silent. And he was silent before Pilate for a time. He didn't defend himself. He was answered questions directly but he didn't try to make excuses or try to say, I'm innocent. He just simply said like things to Pilate. Did, did someone else tell you this or did you find this out for yourself? Um, and my kingdom is out of this world, otherwise my servants would fight. Um, I know it talks about, I think it talks about his arrest in those suffering servant passages. And there might be some other Old Testament passages. I know we have Psalms 22 that speaks about his crucifixion, which is one of the most amazing prophecies in all of the Bible, especially when you think of the fact that his crucifixion is one of the known, it's one of the, the known things that most scholars will agree happened. So it's one of those evidences that we have of Jesus that he went to the cross and died. So this wasn't made up or manipulated by the early church and you read Psalms 22 and you have this whole prophecy of Jesus coming to it. So I'm sorry, I don't have a, a direct answer to your question. But I believe if you look up those suffering servant passages, as I said, there's three of them. Um, then I believe there is something in there about uh, the Jesus being handed over to the chief priests and elders, but I'm not sure. There might be other passages as well somewhere in the Bible that I'm not aware with. All right, rather than make something up, I just have to say I don't know. Thanks, Shelly, for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, we have another question here from Albert. This will be our last question for today. If you um, have questions still, you can write them down while I'm finishing up the answer here and closing out this podcast. You can write out your question. Um, I'm gonna get a copy of this log and I will look at the, the, the end of it at least and see if there's any questions there for first questions and up and coming Q and A's. 
I want to thank all you guys for joining us. We hope you are really blessed. Uh, we hope that this has been edifying to you. Uh, if um, you want to go and download uh, Truth Quest with Robert Furrow podcast, everywhere that you get your podcast, uh, just search Truth Quest with Robert Furrow. You'll find the podcast. Download that. It will not only give you our Q and A's, but it's going to give you our hot topics as well, which is shorter presentations that we do on hot topics. And it will give you our messages as well. A little bit later on today, in fact, in a couple of hours, uh, we've got a message uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, worry, anxiety. And one of the two comorbidities with COVID-19 is overweight and anxiety. And there's something that can be done about both of those. And anxiety, it's interesting, can attack us physically. And we can feel really bad because we're just full of anxiety. It causes our bodies, our bodies to produce things that are not healthy for us and can cause all kinds of problems for us if we live in anxiety. So I want to, through the teaching of Jesus, lift your anxiety tonight. Lift it off of your shoulders by what the Bible has to say about overcoming anxiety the Jesus way. So that'll be at six o'clock. You can join us Facebook or YouTube, or you can come down live. We have two campuses, uh, six o'clock with our East campus, 715 at our West campus. So we'll be doing the study twice, but at six o'clock, just a couple of hours from now. So Albert Sanchez says, uh, thank you for your answer to my first question. You're welcome, Albert. Thank you for being here. Thank you for asking your questions. Is there a significance to Jesus being in the garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion and the garden of Eden? Is this just because he was the new Adam. And again, Albert, very insightful. Yes, I do believe that this whole thing is a picture between Adam and Eve. Let's just say with Adam, a picture between Adam being cursed and Jesus hanging on the tree as the second Adam. There were two men who were born without a sin nature. Adam, we know what happened to him and Jesus. The reason Jesus is the second Adam is because he was born without a sin nature and he gave men a new start. Adam was the first man created. There was thorns and thistles in the curse. There were thorns shoved upon Jesus's head when he was crucified. Uh, there, there was a curse. Jesus is a curse as he hangs on the tree. The one by one man sin came into the world. By one man sin left the world. Adam was in a garden that was a delight, and there he sinned. Jesus was tempted in a garden. Adam gave in, but Jesus stood his ground and said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the cup didn't pass. So I think, Albert, that is just the tip of the iceberg for the comparisons between the two. I think that when you study the last week of the life of Jesus, especially his suffering, the passion, and what happens in the garden, I think there are so many contrasts and comparisons. We know there's a typology because the Bible tells us that there is, and it's very powerful. So very good question, and um, what a connection when we think about it, and how we just could not make up a connection like that, that God's really working and revealing these things to us, because we aren't just gonna make up a connection like that. All right, so thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. Um, we hope that you guys have a really blessed day. Do me a favor, like, subscribe, share. All right, go ahead and share this. You can wait till it gets posted and then share it afterwards. 
Um, let's reach as many people as we can. Social media, being able to share things on social media is one of the best ways to be able to get the gospel out there. Who knows that people might not look at this and go, what is this guy, this pastor talking about? That they might not watch it and give their lives to Christ. It might be the, the their very thing that would lead them down that road. So like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. All right, God bless you guys. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed our podcast. Remember to go to everywhere that you find podcasts, search for TruthQuest Podcast with Robert Furrow, and um, you're going to get all of our stuff, not just our Q&As. God bless you guys. I'm going to go ahead and sign out now. Uh, had a great time with you. I look forward to our Saturday 